Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is the Badass Women's Hour. This week on the show, I finally got around to watching the Britney documentary, and now I keep talking about it with everyone, including you. We hear from Grime star Governor B about remaking masculinity and the problem of crabs in the bucket, and one listener wants to break up with a friend. But first, your weekly reminder that my book, WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office, comes out on March 4th. If you fancied a cheeky pre-order, then now is the moment. This guarantees it all land on your doorstep a week this Thursday, all crisp and shiny and beautiful. Who doesn't love a new book? Now, let's talk Britney Spears. A few weeks ago, the New York Times released a documentary looking at the Free Britney movement. It also looked at Spears' life in the spotlight and whether or not she really is being held hostage, in quotes, by her father. If you don't know all the details about the Free Britney movement, let me give you a quick rundown. So back in 2007 was the year that Britney Spears infamously had a breakdown. So do you remember the photos of her where she shaved her head? She attacked a car with an umbrella. It became kind of the year when everyone talked about how Britney was really having some big mental health problems, except that wasn't really how we talked about it back then. Anyway, what happened was that her father was granted what's called a conservatorship of her. And a conservatorship basically means that someone other than the person who it is conserving, I guess, other person conserving, is in charge of your body and in this case also your money and your finances. So for Brittany, what that means essentially is that her father is the person who makes decisions about her healthcare, makes decisions about where she lives, makes decisions about where she can go. He also makes all the financial decisions about her business, about what work she does, how much money she makes, how much she gets paid, what she spends her money on. All of that ultimately is in his control and has been since 2007. And conservatorships are usually given in cases generally of elderly people who perhaps might be suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. So their children might have a conservatorship of them, for example, or in somebody who perhaps has severe learning difficulties. It's not usually given and then held for 13 years to somebody who had a breakdown. So the documentary kind of looks at how the conservatorship came to be and also takes a really good look at just what was going on in society in 2007 that meant that Britney Spears really got the treatment that she did. I would say that what I mean is things like, do you remember the all the shots of her out partying looking really drunk and off her face? 
or being hounded by paparazzi. I mean, everywhere she went, you know, she'd go to get a drive through and there would be hundreds of paparazzi trying to take the photo of her. It looked at how we portrayed her as this kind of sweet, southern, very adorable virgin. It is a really weird part, actually, where it shows a press conference that she does. And in this press conference, she sat there by herself in front of hundreds of members of the press. And one of them just says, so are you a virgin? And she has to kind of smile sweetly and laugh a bit and then say, oh, yes, I am. It's a really weird, it's a very weird thing to watch. Anyway, what struck me most about the documentary was actually how little things have changed for women in the spotlight. So there's been lots of discussion online about how we can't believe that behavior was happening, that nobody would be allowed to get away with it now, that 2007 was such a different world to how we are in 2021. And there's been lots of discussion about what has changed for women since then. And yes, some stuff has changed, but a lot of the stuff they're saying has changed. I don't think it has. So one of the big things is they say, well, paparazzi certainly couldn't get away with the harassment they put her under now. And they definitely couldn't get away with upskirting, which was their favorite activity in the early 2000s. Do you remember that? Where a young celebrity would be getting in or out of a car and they would literally just put their camera underneath her skirt to get a picture of her knickers or not in the case. So they say that wouldn't happen now, but maybe the upskirting wouldn't happen. That was only made illegal last year, right? So very, very recently. And the reality is other things still happen. So people are still continually taking some star's face and superimposing it on the body of a porn star and pretending she's made a porn movie. If you're a woman in the public eye, you are really wary, and I say this as someone who knows, you're really wary about who you let take your picture and when and in what circumstances because you don't trust them not to put it anywhere. You know, that fear about what your image is and what a bad photo or a potentially risque photo of you might say is really, really scary. So that hasn't changed at all. And why hasn't that changed? Because we still judge women more harshly than we do men. So There's been lots of discussion about how we've called Justin Timberlake out for that Crimea River video now, you know, video where he basically says the fact that he and Britney broke up was all Britney's fault and she was evil and cheated on him. And he was just this poor, sweet boy who was done over by this evil, evil woman. Well, as far as I can see, men who've been caught cheating on or abusing their girlfriends are still forgiven way quicker than the women who do it. Now, I'm not saying that either of them should be forgiven. Maybe they shouldn't. But let's be honest here. Johnny Depp, Amber Heard went to court. Johnny Depp was still found that there was evidence that he had abused Amber Heard and yet still promoted by a perfume brand, took a campaign to have him dropped from a Harry Potter film. Amber Heard, where's her career now? Who's working with her now? And we're not much more understanding about mental health. I know we like to think we are. I know we like to think that we're much better on mental health now than we were in the early 2000s. But look at the reaction to Kanye's bipolar episode last year. And just this week, the Times ran a piece where it talked about journalists who talk about their mental health a lot. For example, Bryony Gordon, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. And it said that these women were profiting off their, quote, mishaps. And that basically they were only talking about their mental health to make money. It's a really sad indictment of how we think about mental health, but also, let's be honest here, how we think about women. That has not changed from the early 2000s. If you haven't seen the Britney Spears documentary, it's definitely worth watching. But I personally wouldn't buy into the hype around it that says this is proof that we live in a different world now. I do, however, buy into Free Britney. 
So one good thing that is happening in the music industry when it comes to mental health and how we talk about feminism, masculinity, and all the issues that go with it is my next guest, uh, Grime star Governor B. He talks to me about modern masculinity, about questioning who he is and what he stands for in a hyper-masculine culture, and how he wants to raise his son. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Hi, Governor B. Hello, Harriet. How are you doing? You okay? I'm very well. Thank you so much for talking to us tonight. Um, I want to say, first of all, your new book, which is called Unspoken, is out now. And I read it last week and I was both really moved and also, I think, really challenged to hear your views on masculinity and how men can really step up and you know, start creating a proper role for themselves. So I want to talk to you lots about the book. But first of all, I want to talk to you about what inspired the book. Why did you decide to write it? Uh, first of all, thank you for reading it and being quite positive about it because I was oh. very nervous as a man coming onto your show. Um, <laughs> Some, so I'm happy mostly we're happy. nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was you know, conditioned from a young age that you know what makes a man is strength and dominance and, and never crying and mm. getting on with things really quickly. I think growing up on a council estate had a part to play in that just because it was a very dog-eat-dog culture. And mm. I think culturally, being a first-generation Brit and my parents having to kind of really fight and strive every day and not always feeling welcome in, in London had a part to play as well. But um, in 2017, my dad passed away um, pretty suddenly. He had like a short battle with cancer but he didn't know he had cancer at the time so by the time he went to the hospital uh he had passed away a few days later and um after that i tried to you know not cry try to be strong i'm the eldest child so i tried to shoulder the responsibility of kind of everyone else's um feelings but i just couldn't do it and so i ended up um breaking down on a beach in california three months later and i was just in floods of tears but interestingly enough, after I had cried, I felt the most freedom I had ever felt in mm. a long, long time. And I guess that's when I started to challenge, you know, my idea of masculinity and, and everything that I thought was right up until that point. I mean, you talk about how you had, um, when you were younger, a friend who was murdered and you simply just had to kind of shut it down, deal with it, and the next day move on as though nothing had really happened how did experiences like that shape you i think experiences like that normalize mm. internalizing your trauma um me and my friends talk about that to this day and it was funny when it happened we were kind of 14 15 years old and we speak about that day and everyone says that they went home that night and they were really emotional and they were crying and they couldn't sleep and they were super stressed out but we didn't show that side to each other. Um, when we saw each other, we put on a, a brave face. And I think, you know, because of reactions like that, we just normalize trauma. And so when things happen and we find ourselves in difficult situations, we automatically internalize it, thinking that, you know, that's us dealing with it. But I found that it just comes out in another way, like five, ten years later, and it's mm. such a bigger issue to deal with, in, in my experience. When you found yourself on that beach and you're like, I can't keep this, I can't keep these feelings repressed anymore. I'm, you know, they've got to come out. 
What did you do then? Because I can imagine I thought you just sat on a beach having a good old cry, <laughs> and then you're yeah. like, oh, what happens now? What are your next steps? Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I always thought up until that point that it's just that men don't want to communicate, but I actually think it's because we don't always know how to. And so when I found myself at that point, I just texted my wife saying, oh, I just cried for the first time in however many years. And I think I'm not dealing with my dad's death in the right way. Mm. And so when I got back from my tour, um, we had like a really honest conversation about how I was feeling. And then she encouraged us to, to go and see a counsellor and some of the stuff that I said to my counsellor was, you know, stuff from years and years ago that I had never ever um, vocalised. Um, but yeah, that was the start of my my journey. Um, and I guess the next big thing for me was thinking about the people in my life that have consistently shown that they love me and trying to practice vulnerability with them. Because I think it's scary when you're vulnerable because you're like, oh, am I going to get judged? The People are going to think I'm not like a real man and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. find that the people that really love you and have shown that over the years don't don't judge you at all. So yeah, it's about practicing vulnerability with them. And I think there's this idea of you know, a real man in quotes. You know, it's, you've got to be strong. You can't be vulnerable. You can't let anyone see that you've got a weakness or a sensitivity. How hard has it been to shift your definition of what a real man is? I think it's easier with my generation and, and my friends. Um, what I found is vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So if I'm, you know, in a group setting with friends and someone asks me how I am, I'll always share the good and the bad because then I feel that gives, you know, one of my friends courage to share the stuff they're struggling with yeah. as well. I think when I think about it holistically in terms of society as a whole, it's really, really hard to shift that. Um, and it just gets really overwhelming. So what I try and do is just look at my, you know, immediate circle and the people that I'm in contact with and just try and be a part of the change that I want to see with us. And hopefully that gives other people that I'm in contact with the courage to do that as well. And it just, you know, spreads and spreads. But I think it's very hard to shift it, um, in society in general, because another thing is it's not unique to, you know, people from a certain race or a, a certain background, like, you could have grown up in a really wealthy area opposite to me and still struggle with it. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I read that you have a kind of an agreement with your friends that you don't ask each other, how are you? You have a kind of numbering system. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes, I think we found that because we find it really, really hard to, to be vulnerable and essentially we've been this way for 27 to 30 years or whatever. Yeah. We need to help each other out a little bit. So now, uh, instead of saying, how are you doing? We say, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling today? Uh, what that does is it enables us to start thinking about our day. And I might say, okay, I'm a six today. And they'll be like, oh, why are you not a 10? And then I have to think about um, exposing some of the things that I'm struggling with. And it just makes room and creates space for healthy conversation. And it's brought us so much closer together as well, which is, is good. How has rethinking what it means to be a man impacted your relationship with your wife? Because I think sometimes as women, we ask a lot of men, right? Because we say we want you to be in touch with your feelings. We want you to be open and vulnerable with us. We want you to be aware of like masculinity's impact on women. But also we want you to be really strong and we want you to be the breadwinner. and We want you to do all this stuff that's really manly because we really like that. How has it changed your relationship with her? I think we've got more of an authentic relationship now. I think, you know, strength in of itself isn't a bad thing, but we have an agreement that, you know, when my mind 
and my body is telling me that um, I can't be strong anymore and I'm feeling weak and vulnerable. I need to share that with her. I think um, looking at my parents was something that really spoke to me. Cause my dad was quite passive. He never would say he's having a bad day and he's probably very emotionally disconnected. And so because of that, my mum had to carry the emotional responsibility of the whole family, which was quite taxing for her, actually. Um, And so looking at my mum and some of the anxiety that's come as a result of that, I don't want my my wife to face that as well. So I just try and take the responsibility of being honest about my vulnerabilities with Emma, who's my wife. And Yeah. yeah, I think we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have like a very real one now, which is um, I think the best thing for us. And you became a dad in 2019. How mm. has and you've got a son that's writing it? Yeah. Yeah, Ezra. Yeah. How did Ezra's appearance on the scene make you? What did it teach you about the lessons you want to pass on to him as a young boy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with Ezra, I. If I could visualize it, it was like a, there's this book being written and my dad was like in the introductory chapters or whatever and there's some stuff that he did great and some stuff that he did not so great, like communicate his feelings. I've gone through my journey and I've learned that that's really important to do that. We're at kind of middle of the book now. And with Ezra, hopefully, you know, he'll learn from both of our mistakes and he'll be the most amazing communicator, completely in touch with his emotions, doesn't have like this toxic idea of masculinity and it's just a real chance to, you know, continue the legacy and make sure that each generation is is getting better and, you know, thriving, not just, you know, with their strengths, but with mentally and emotionally as well. And has becoming a father made you feel differently about your relationship with your father? I think it's made me realise that with every generation, there is as much to teach as there is to learn. Mm. I think my dad was yeah. big on I've got to teach you this, you don't have to be a man, you've got to work hard and that kind of stuff. But he didn't really make an effort to learn new ways of doing things or new ways of bettering himself. And so, yeah, I think that's the big thing it's shown me. We have to be willing to learn just as much as we're willing to teach. What do you think about the phrase toxic masculinity? I guess I'd describe it as these ideals that we're Mm. taught from a young age, from wherever we're taught them. And they sound really, really positive. I mean, like, Never crying sounds like a great thing. Being strong sounds like a great thing. But at the point where we face difficulties and our body and our mind telling us that actually it feels very natural to cry right now or it feels very natural to show your vulnerability, we have to listen. And if we carry those ideals of strength and dominance and in those moments, then it can actually be quite harmful and toxic for us. So I think we've got to try and equip ourselves with the tools that we need to recognise, you know, the moments to be strong and also the moments to be vulnerable. I think that's such an important point you made there, which is about you know, when your body or your body or your mind is telling you now is the moment to cry or now is the moment to be strong, actually listening, mm. listening to our best instincts, which so many of us are taught not to do. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you look at the statistics of how many you know young men are, are struggling at the moment, and it's really scary and. The thing that I realise when I'm speaking to my friends and the people that have been through it is we will know when we're going through it. We will know when we don't go through 100%. And I think it's at that point we need to recognise that we feel that way and, and do something about it rather than, you know, internalising it. And how do you think this is, or do you think, the discussion of masculinity is different for black men in the UK 
rather than white men in the UK? I think um, every race um, struggles with toxic masculinity. Um, From a black perspective, I guess it's nuanced because of the history of, you know, slavery and um, starting off on the back foot and maybe being viewed by, you know, parts of society as people that are to be feared and, and that kind of stuff. You feel like, actually, if I'm not going to be strong all the time and if I have a moment of vulnerability, it could result in me being a victim of me being taken advantage of. And so I think that's the nuance that comes with being black. But ultimately, I think it's something that's that every race, you know, every culture struggles with and every culture has different root causes of it. You know, for me, it was the council estate and being a first generation Brit. Um, mm-hmm. For another guy, it might be something completely different. But it's about kind of analyzing what goes into your masculinity and, and how can you combat that and um, fight it in a healthy way. Can you tell me about the crabs in a bucket theory? <laughs> Everyone that's read the book has been asking me about this. Uh, uh, it came from, um, my mum said it to me from a young age, but I went to Ghana myself a few years ago and saw it for myself. It's fishermen that was putting a load of crabs in a bucket and every time one of the crabs would climb to the top of the bucket, another crab would put it down. And kind of when you contextualise that in human form, like young people and council estate culture where I come from, We'd always kind of put each other down and um, I guess the limited opportunities, they breed like jealousy and hate and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the focus is always placed on the crabs um, as the problem, but not enough focus on the bucket, which is our environment. And Mm. reality is if there's no bucket at all or if there's an environment that encourages us to thrive mentally, emotionally, physically, all those kind of things, then the crabs don't put each other down because there's enough everyone you know um to be healthy so yeah that's what it means i guess your life now is very different to when you were growing up you've had some success that kind of brings money and security and stability how has that changed you um i think coming from where i've come from obviously very humble beginnings um i really want to use any platform that I've got now to to give back, to pay it forward. I'm not really interested in, you know, like celebrity or the world standards of success. For me, success is, you know, doing the best you can with what you have, but also giving back so that when you go through a door, you leave it open so that like a younger person can come in and not learn from and learn from your mistakes. So I think the only thing it's done is giving me a platform to be able to amplify like a positive message. Like I'm sure when people hear, like, I'm a grand artist or a rapper, there's certain yeah. stereotypes that might come from that. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I think the genre is a reflection of society. There's good parts and there's bad parts. And I just want to really highlight the positives and um, give uh, access, open access for younger people to be inspired by what I do and make positive choices. You talk about your kind of experiences of depression and anxiety in the book. How easy was it to be honest and open about them so before anyone kind of um reads the book or listens to my music it's really easy to write stuff down because i'm not a great communicator i'm not great in you know one-on-one conversation and so the way that i process my thoughts is by writing things down it's a form of therapy for me so that's really easy for me to do um but i guess the hard part is you know giving people access to my thoughts but one thing that's always kept me going is the fact that there has to be a purpose in pain that we go through. Like I refuse to go through difficult Mm -hmm. situations and for them just to be painful. I think 
there's got to be purpose in it. And I think the purpose in this situation is the fact that I can help other, not just men, everyone, um, know that they're not alone with struggling with depression or anxiety or their masculinity, um, but someone else has been through it like me. And once I'm out the other side, but I'm, I'm fighting. And I think we're all different. There's not this 10 point plan on, you know, how to be grief or how to defeat depression. But yeah. knowing that we're not alone is, is a really important thing. And so that's the purpose in my pain. I mean, knowing that you're not alone is a really important message. And you've sort of done that in a really interesting way with your new podcast, which is The Lost Tapes, which mm. talks to guests about their experience of grief and bereavement. Um, how has having that experience of talking to people about something that you have also personally been through, how has it helped you process your grief around your father? It's really helped when, you know, I speak to people that have been through some horrifying things and I see that they're still standing, they're still, you know, living, breathing, smiling. Um, it helps me think if they can get through their situation, then there's got to be a way that I can find strength to get through mine. And the thing is, all of us get through our, our stuff in different ways. And so that's why it's so important for me to speak to different people from different walks of life. But yeah, I think it's the big thing. I mean, <laughs> spoke to the Archbishop Justin Welby about losing his daughter in a car accident mm. and she was just under the age of one and just the story was, was horrifying but to see him just you know, laughing and, and joking and crying but still standing just told me that you know what it might not be completely easy ever but there's a way that we can get through and there's a way that the sun will shine again and so yeah I think that's the, the big thing for the podcast. Yeah. And finally, if you could go back to the council estate where you were 16 and have a conversation with your 16, 17-year-old self, what would you want him to know? Um, the big thing I'd say would be to look after the puddles before they turn into floods. You know, 16-year-old mm. me who didn't cry when his friend got murdered had to cry 10 years later in counselling and it was... Mm probably way worse with loads more baggage um so i think in life there's going to be puddles and if we face them head on and we're honest about them and vulnerable then they won't turn into floods years later i think that is excellent advice for all of us uh thank you so much for talking to me tonight on badass it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and i really really enjoyed your book so thank you for writing it thank you for having me and well done for all the work you do Oh, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, it's so nice when you guess thank you. Um, Unspoken is out now and it is just, it is a really great read. And also, if you've got like a teenage son, it's such a good read for them. They really need it. Put it in their hands, give it to them, get them to, you know, maybe express an emotion or two or at least show them that it's okay to do so. It's, um, we talk, you know, when we talk about toxic masculinity, people can get quite upset. They say we're criticising men, we're pulling apart what it means to be a man. And I say, no, we're not. We're not pulling apart everything that it means to be a man. We're pulling apart some of the stereotypes that we have put on men that are actually harming them, that are 
forcing them to keep quiet when they're in pain that are contributing to that suicide rate amongst men that are not letting them openly and honestly express their emotions and talk about what's going on for them when big stuff is going on. That is toxic masculinity. And when you've got men like Governor B pulling it apart there and being really open and honest about what is going on for them, that is how we start to get rid of the toxic and just end up with masculinity, which I, for one, am a big fan of. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That was Governor B there talking about his new book, Unspoken, and how he sees the future of modern masculinity. Finally, the listener question of the week. If you listened to the announcement of the roadmap this week and our way out of lockdown, and perhaps rather than extreme excitement, you felt a little fluttering of anxiety, well, you're not alone. I think some of us did, well, quite a few of us did maybe too. And I think this next question might strike a bit of a chord with you. So this is a bit of a strange question, but I wondered if you had any advice. While I know the pandemic has been tough for many people, I've actually quite enjoyed it. My job has been safe. I've liked working from home. And in particular, I've enjoyed not having to spend so much time with my friends and one friend in particular. Although we've been friends for years, I've never felt particularly comfortable around her. She makes fun of my clothes, pulls apart my relationships, and is generally very negative about her life and everyone around her. I'm not sure why we stayed friends for so long, but spending less time with her has actually been good for my mental health. And I don't want to bring that negativity back into it. How can I avoid her once lockdown has lifted? Okay. Um... How can you avoid a friend once lockdown is lifted? So let's just start with a really obvious thing here. You can just avoid her. So you can just say you are busy when she asks to see you. You can say that actually you're focusing on other things in your life. You don't have as much time at the moment. You can literally ghost her if you want to. There are all these kind of simple, but let's face it, quite childish ways that you could handle this. I'm going to talk about why you shouldn't do that, but I also want to emphasize the fact that you can do that. That is a choice. You know, if you want to behave like that, you can. If you want to just avoid somebody, you can. The bigger question I would be asking yourself is, why has it taken me this long to avoid her? What is going on with you that means that you can't possibly say no to this friend, even though you don't enjoy spending time with her? 
So the question for you to think about there, right? So why is it you haven't been able to say no to her yet? And most of us, when we find we can't say no to somebody, it's because there's a part of us that really likes to please other people. That we are, and I say this as somebody who is still a reforming one, we are deep down people pleasers. And so we want to be liked, we want people to be happy with us. And in order for that to happen, we put our own wants second and focus on other people's needs and desires. And a way to practice getting out of that is to focus on your needs and desires every single day. And the way that I like to do this is at the start of the day, take a pen, a piece of paper or a journal, find a bit of quiet time, just sit down quietly, take deep breath in, and then just ask yourself, what do I want today? And write down anything that comes to you. And for some of you, we'll have lists the length of your arm, and some of you won't be able to get one thing. And people pleasers often find it hard to come up with what they want because we're so used to not thinking about what we want, but thinking about what other people want. So write that list and then try and get everything on it. Even if there is some ridiculous stuff on there, even if what you want that day is a yacht in the Caribbean, at least do some investigating towards it. Put some money into a savings account, whatever it is. Think about how you can get the things you want and practice doing that. And what will happen is that actually when this friend turns up wanting to spend time with you, wanting to see you, you'll be tuned into whether or not you want to see them, probably in this case not. And you're going to find it much easier to then act on that want and act on that and say, actually, I don't have time for this. I can't see you. No. There is, of course, the other thing you can do here, which is be a grown up and talk to her about what's going on for you. So you don't necessarily have to say to her, I find you incredibly negative and I don't want to spend any more time with you. But you can say, actually, this past year has made me focus on what's really important to me. And I want to put my energy where I feel that it is best served. So you could say, actually, what I really want to do is spend time with people who lift me up. And if I'm being honest with you, when I spend time with you, I feel drained. Now, Often we shy away from having those conversations with our friends because we don't want to hurt them. But perhaps this friend doesn't know that that's the impact that she has. Perhaps she doesn't even realize how draining or tiring or depressing she is. And maybe you telling her could help her take a good look at herself and what's going on for her. Because generally people that have a very negative view of the world, they have stuff going on for themselves. They are worried about things. They are stressed about things. They are fearful of things. And having somebody point that out to them and explain the impact it's having on those around them might help them go and get some help. And finally, I said I would talk to you a little bit about ghosting and whether or not you should do it. Friend breakups can haunt you if you don't do them right. I know this, I've broken up with friends in ways that I now as an older, wiser, better person regret. So think about not just what do you want to do now, but how will you feel about what you've done in the years to come? And this is two parts. You will feel bad about yourself if you say, actually, I'm not going to break up with her. I'm just going to keep being friends with her. I'm going to keep letting her drag me down. In 10 years time, you're going to have spent 10 years with somebody who doesn't make you feel good. You are going to regret that. But also, if you choose to just ghost her now, if you say, I'm just going to ignore her calls, I'm just going to pretend that we don't have anything to talk about, you're going to feel bad about that in 10 years time too. Trust me. That is all for this week. If you enjoyed the show, then you'll enjoy me on social media too. You should come and find me at Harriet Minter on Twitter, Instagram, all the socials. And if you enjoyed the show, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps build our follower numbers and helps other people find us on all those, you know, what they call podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes. It's not called iTunes anymore. I should know that by now. Please do rate, review and I will talk to you again next week. 
You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chat. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.